Hello, Neil. Hi, Sandra. And hello to our listeners here. And guys, there is no funny intro for this one. For this episode, we have nothing to make you laugh with. We always have a funny little something at the beginning, but not this time, no. No, not for this one. Just a heads up, we're talking about child murder, the shooting in Uvalde, Texas, obviously. So listener discretion is advised. Yes, and just as the funerals of the victims of the Buffalo mass shooting are starting, America is faced with yet another preventable slaughter of innocents. On May 24th, 2022, just two days ago, 19 children, 19, and two teachers from Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, were massacred by a deranged gunman. I mean, the details coming out are horrifying. The teachers tried to shield the children with their bodies. 19 little bodies so destroyed that they had to be matched to their parents by DNA tests. Some of the kids were unrecognizable. And just to clarify this, this is not like a movie. I don't know what people are imagining when when they militate for guns and, you know, all these crazy guns that Americans have. This is not like a movie. These high-velocity bullets, they ravage, they rip and tear apart tissue and bone. It's not small holes we're talking. We're talking... Okay, grapefruit size holes. It's insane. And let that sink in. They needed DNA tests because some of these kids had no faces anymore. Okay, I'm sorry for being graphic, but people need to understand what this is. You know, big parts of their heads, big big parts of their bodies had been pulverized. Three other children are still in critical condition at the San Antonio hospital and also three more adults. Yeah, I mean... It's it's baffling to me, really, that in this day and age, that any any random person uh, can walk into a store and it's like, oh, I need a mass murder device. But yes, that's basically what you can do. And I live in Texas. I mean, you guys that are listening to us every week have surely probably picked up on that. Uh, so I don't live near Uvalde. I live in North Texas near Dallas, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, even, I don't think even people that have the guns consider when they have them that, no, it's going to be a mess if you do this, you know, it's like, if you ever do what you fantasize about doing with your guns, it's not going to be like the Rambo movie. It's going to be messy, but. That's that's where we live, so that's what we're talking about. Well, for now, we'll see in the future, but um, we need to talk about Emmett Till, you know, and the photo that changed the civil rights movement. Emmett Till was a 14-year-old African-American kid who allegedly whistled at a white woman or somehow offended her uh, in 1955 in Mississippi, of course. So he was abducted by her family members tortured horribly, and he was lynched. His body was thrown in the Tallahatchie River. When his mutilated body was recovered, his mom, Marnie, opted for an open casket funeral so that everyone sees what was done to her child. And the photos of Emmett before and after the lynching, I can't even believe I'm saying those were, it's crazy. One particular photo of him dead changed things. And I think I feel that it's time that people should see what a mass shooting means, okay? Because I think it's time for people to be shocked 
because we are no longer shocked. We got used to this. We think this is normal. And I think something needs to happen. I think sooner or later, one of these parents or other parents from mass shootings must put out there a photo of their child before and after the shooting, because people do not understand. A photo can be extremely powerful. The Emmett Till photo changed the world, and more importantly, it changed the laws. And people need to see what an AR-15 does. You know, to me, this whole thing, they're now angels, little children, the little children are angels now, and they're flying to heaven. Yes, that is, you know, I, I guess it's soothing, but that kind of thing makes it all too easy to process and move on. And we can't, we can't keep moving on from one massacre to the next. Something must snap in the brains of the crazed gun crowd. And for that to happen, they must see. I hope, you know, that someday, somehow, some parent will have the strength to do that. Because I really believe it's the only thing that can move the needle at this point, as nothing else seems to work, really. That's what moved the needle in Vietnam. And we're going to talk about some things specific to Uvalde that, went on during the Vietnam War era. Uvalde has been a town in the news before for different reasons and uh, different, but I don't think unrelated. And we're going to try to explain that as best we can with little preparation. But when people see these things, they do move the needle. That's why the Connecticut school shooting lasted as long as it did and had an impact beyond just another school shooting is because people saw and it didn't have the impact of taking us back to, you know, getting assault rifles off the streets, but it got rid of Alex Jones at least. So there's that. Yes. These images linger. And I think this one, if I had to guess, I think this one is going to be similar to, the Connecticut school shooting. This one's not going to just go away when the next thing happens in the news. Yes, I mean, I think everybody in the world has heard of the Sandy Hook shooting. And look, in this case, in Ovalde, as Neil said, we never prepared to record this episode because this is something that uh, obviously we didn't anticipate happening, even though, to be honest, we should have, I guess, at this point, because we have a a school shooting every other week, it seems. But look, yes, it's insane. At this at this point uh, in Uvalde, among the testimonies and, you know, what the kids that survived are saying, one of the details that shocked me, so I was on the way going to the dog park earlier, trying to get my head out of this for a second, and I had to pull over in a parking lot because I was crying and I can't see well anyway because I messed up my eyes reading a lot, so <laughs> partly for the podcast part. But the point is... This detail really shook me. One of the kids in the school, an 11-year-old girl, covered herself in other children's blood so that she can appear dead to the gunman so that she can survive so that he doesn't shoot her. And she stayed still for one hour until the police got in there. And it's insanity to me. Look, this year we've had more mass shootings in the United States than days in the year. We have more guns in this country than we have people. The American Academy of Pediatrics just said that the leading cause of death of American children and adolescents is no longer car accident. It's firearms, guns. The world is watching in disbelief. People from other countries are flabbergasted. I have friends from everywhere asking, what 
the hell is going on? Why do you guys let this continue? You have the power to change this. Well, we're going to do our best to explain that. America has a culture that I think most people don't grasp. Uh, and even if they do, they cannot articulate. And it's a violent country. It's a violent culture. And it was born that way. And I'm sure people can appreciate, at least our audience that are a little older like we are, that, you Speak know. Speak for yourself. Okay. A little older like I am. <laughs> you know, if you've, if you've had lots of jobs for lots of different companies and you've maybe attended more than one university, you know, you, you get that over time that every place that is different somehow, whether it be a geographic region or a state or a country or a company, they have a culture. And America's culture is violent and vindictive. And I don't think the people that live here can even articulate it if they do understand it. So we're going to do our best to at least explain it to our listeners from around the world and try to crystallize it a bit more for our listeners in America, too, at least what I think of it. So I've been here long enough to see it firsthand. A lot of countries might have violent cultures, but you know what? They have no guns. So, I mean, I guess that's where the buck stops. Either way, look, Australia had the massacre at Port Arthur in 1996 when 35 people were gunned down and 23 more were injured, right? And the government used an AR-15, and guess what they did? They banned the assault rifles. That's it, a sweeping ban on all semi-automatic guns within months. Not only that, they took back such guns from people. They had a buyback program. And furthermore, they passed additional firearm licensing and vetting rules in late 2021. And lawmakers hope to have a gun registry up and running by June 2023. It can be done. And since then... Australia did have some mass shootings, right? They had the Monash University shooting with two dead people, the Oakhampton Heights shooting, three fatalities, uh, Wedderburn shooting, three fatalities, the Parramatta shooting, one person dead, the Darwin shooting, four people dead, the Osmington shooting, which, by the way, this one was a family shooting in which the father killed his entire family, seven people dead. So I don't even know if it should be included as the definition kept changing over the years. I mean, now even a three-person uh, fatality rate is considered to be a mass shooting, which I guess, you know, makes sense. One More than one is a mass shooting, I guess. You right? would have to dig deep into the local news to even find mention of those in the U.S. If there's yes. like, shootings involving one person in the U.S., Oh, nobody They're, cares. I mean, nobody, no, nobody, yeah. nobody cares. That's, Doesn't that's, even make the evening news locally. Oh, no, no. That's that's local news at best. That's like at small best. town local news, yes. Yeah, so to sum it up, in the last 26 years, I repeat, in 26 years since they banned semi-automatic rifles and took such guns away from people, Australia had 20 people dying in mass shootings, Right. We have 19 children and two teachers in one day on May 24. This comes right after the Buffalo racist shooting on May 14, where 10 people were gunned down in a supermarket. So we have 31 fatalities in 10 days. America, we have more people gunned down in 10 days 
than Australia has in 26 years. And Australia is not even the gold standard. Most of the other civilized countries in the world have never even had a mass shooting because civilians don't have guns at all in countries like Italy, Romania, and so on. And by the way, I want to give a shout out to Vanessa, one of our many Australian listeners. She's of Ukrainian descent also, and a very supportive friend of our podcast. And I'm glad that she is living in a safer place. And yet, just to point out how far removed from any decent gun control measures we are, even after Australia banned their assault weapons, a lot of people there still believe there's still a lot that remains to be done. And I agree with such people. This is a message Vanessa sent to us today on Twitter. She said, and I quote, This got me thinking about the Twitter posts about quote-unquote, come to Australia, still gross to me and trending, makes me ill, which got me thinking about our gun laws and the unspoken issues still connected. Please know, I am so happy with our strict gun laws, and I vaguely remember when the buyback scheme and new legislation passed, I was absolutely mortified at the amount of guns piled up while we were still reeling from Port Arthur, I just don't feel that after 25 years of these laws, that enough of the related issues have been considered and resolved. It's a first step and so much more should have been resolved in the 25 years since. I'm hoping that if the United States get to the point of gun control, that these related facts will be considered holistically. Uh, While Australia holds ourselves as the gold standard... We are still conveniently ignoring the fact that the removal of the automatic weapons and tight gun control was only step one. And it's true. There are yet more aspects that Australia has to deal with. There are further things that can be done to ensure a safer and better country for its citizens. But at least, as Vanessa said, they took the first step. And yet they want to improve even more safety and the well-being of their citizens. And that's what we should be striving for. No, we don't. That's it, is we don't. (sighs) That is the crux of this whole thing. America does not care about any of the other related issues. If it costs money, the answer is no. Yes, I mean, Republicans keep peddling, oh, it's a mental illness issue. But then when mental illness bills come on the floor, they vote against putting money into mental health. I I mean, it's insanity. Well, and so look, they were the ones during the Reagan administration that cast all of our permanently housed mental patients to the breeze with the idea that we'll just give them the drugs they need and then they can go live somewhere else. They need to get a job. Well, it's not that simple. In fairness, I suppose, they were just the end of that policy. Uh, It started in the 70s. For those unfamiliar, the book and the movie, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. That's what said it all. Oh, I love that movie. That's so good. It's fantastic. And I mean, it was a true story. Jack Nicholson, right? Yeah, Jack Nicholson. And I say true story. True story in that it was written by someone who worked in a mental hospital. So it was somebody who had firsthand knowledge, even though the characters were fictitious. It was based on what the author had seen with his own eyes. And that story set the movement in motion to get rid of mental institutions in the U.S. Geraldo Rivera actually was the other person that kind of pushed it over the edge. He did a a local news story in New York before he was you know, famous, in which he went to 
a hospital for uh, mentally disabled children. And he presented it as if it was this big exposure of, you know, mistreatment of children in a state hospital, which, I mean, let's be honest, it was that to some degree, but very over-dramatized. So if we wanted to do better, then we could have done better then. But the trajectory of those political movements at the state and local level to get rid of those places was never to improve the services that people got. It was never to help people do better. It was, we can take this money and spend it where we really want to spend it because we don't want to spend it on mental patients and we don't want to spend it on disabled children. We want to spend it on something else. We want to spend it on prisons and prosecutors because those are the future Republican politicians. So it was always headed towards where we are today. Yes, and we'll talk about the mental health a little more when we talk about that press conference, that shameful, shameful press conference of Greg Abbott and Ted Cruz. But look, countries like Italy, Romania, Germany, France, and so on, they have no guns. Most civilized countries have a no guns for civilians situation, which is only normal. I mean, I don't know. As a person who's not from here, I am appalled. Anyway, in Switzerland, it's the local authorities who decide whether a person should get a gun permit or not. And there, most people have military experience because they are drafted, they join the military automatically, right? So the local authorities also keep a log of everyone who owns a gun in their region. Their regions are known as uh, cantons, so like our counties, but cantons. And cantonal police don't take their duty doling out licenses lightly. Like they sometimes even consult a psychiatrist to interview the people who apply for the licenses. So this is a very strict vetting process. And Swiss laws are designed to prevent anyone who's violent or incompetent from owning a gun. So basically, that's how you rule out mental illness, okay? Because we can't keep blaming mass shootings on mental illness. It's very easy to rule that out. Psychological test before you apply to get a gun permit. Yes. And it doesn't sound very convincing to me to point at, oh, well, you know, the 18-year-old kid who just murdered, you know, a building full of basically toddlers was mentally ill. Well, and what did anybody do about that? How did he get that way? From what we've been able to dig up on this guy, he kind of just stopped going to school and nobody cared. And he had a job, but he didn't get along with anybody at work, but nobody cared too much about that either. So you can't just throw a label Yes. At people like this and say, oh, well, this is why. Well, if that's why, then what does anybody do about that? Because the answer is not much. And look, Greg Abbott, during that shameful, disgusting press conference, in the same breath, he said, this is all about mental illness and evil. And then five seconds later, he said, this 18-year-old had, as far as everyone knows, no history of mental illness. Anybody with Google can get a pretty good picture yes, of what I mean, was in the shooter's head. It's, obviously, I mean, I this is a deranged person. You know, like that, yes. is, that is obvious. And that's what I'm saying. If we maybe invested more resources in actually helping these people who are suffering mental episodes, that could help. But that would still not prevent the shootings because sometimes, guess what? 
these people do not want to go to the doctors. And back to Switzerland, there, people who have been convicted of a crime or have even an alcohol or drug addiction, they are not allowed to buy guns in Switzerland. And the law also states that anyone who, quote, expresses a violent or dangerous attitude won't be permitted to own a gun. And gun owners who want to carry their weapon for defensive purposes, they have to prove they can properly load, unload and shoot their weapon, and they must pass a psychological test and an aptitude test to get the license. And also, you have to go back, I think, after three or four years, you know, they don't give you the license and the gun and you're like, good for life. No, 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 no. After a while, you know, like with the driver's permit, nobody is upset about having to pass a driving test to get the driving license, right? You should see how many times you get poked and prodded if you want to fly an airplane. You're going to get checked out every six months. Exactly. We talked about that in our China plane crash episodes. Yes. So what would be so crazy about that? I mean, I feel like it can be done. We just gave the example of a country where arms are prevalent, right? Everybody has a gun there. And look, they have no mass shootings. Texas is so far short of that. It's not, they're not even in the same ballpark. In fact, here's a little nugget of wisdom about Texas for our people who are not from here. Well, they're not missing out on much, let me tell you that much. Yeah, so everybody in the U.S. pays their income taxes. Well, not everybody. Individuals do. Corporations do not. But that's a topic for a whole other episode. So your income tax money goes to the federal government, and the federal government turns around and gives back to the states their share of basically public welfare money, which is supposed to be for medical care for people who cannot afford uh, medical care because we don't believe in uh, sending people to hospitals who cannot pay in America either, Uh, grocery money for people who can't afford food, all that sort of thing. Texas spends 88% of that money on local prosecutors to herd those people into prisons. Because all those local prosecutors are the world's future Republican senators and members of the House of Representatives and state senators and governors. So that's Texas. Not only do they not care about mental illness, but go talk to this guy over here and we'll get you set up in one of our prisons. That's what they're after. Yeah. And look, before we get any further, as a double citizen of a European country and as an American too... This is insanity, okay? This gun situation. It is insanity. America, your obsession with guns is a fetish. It's pathological. It's almost sexual. I mean, it would be interesting to talk to a psychologist or psychiatrist about this. There is something extremely perverted and abnormal about this. It is depraved. It needs to stop. To clarify from the get-go, my position is ban the assault guns. In fact, I would ban all guns and all military gear for civilians. Nobody needs bulletproof body armor and helmets and all this crazy stuff that one can buy easier in Texas. You can buy that stuff easier than you can buy a beer. I mean, this 18-year-old who went in the school and shot all these little kids is not legally able to buy a beer in Texas. Okay, he can't walk into a bar and get a beer. That is considered to be something too dangerous to give somebody his age. I mean, I am livid over this. I am just, I can't even find the words. That's why I didn't want to record this episode, because I feel like 
You know, we've been saying this for years and years. We have been going to marches and... It's exhausting. I'm tired of saying enough, enough, enough. And every time it's the same conversation. We do the same thing. We move from one mass shooting to the next. When does it stop? When? You know, the first famous school shooting ever was also in Texas, back in the 60s. A guy crawled up in a tower at the University of Texas with a rifle and was just shooting random people on the street. And uh, his name was uh, Walt Whitman, I believe. And uh, how far have we come since then? Well, we have better guns. We've come <sighs> that far for sure. Yeah. But uh, that's, that's about it. Yeah, that's the wrong direction. I would like that was not where we were supposed to go. But look, in all of Europe, and obviously also in my country, you can't get a driver's license unless you pass a psychological test, right? So you don't even get to take the theoretical test, much less being allowed to climb in a car with an instructor. No, not unless you pass the psychological test. And if you fail, that's it. No driving. They don't give you a driver's license because they consider you can be a danger to yourself and others. Well, danger to yourself for sure. I had a German friend when I was in college in the same dorm as me that said that in Germany, you could drink when you were 16, but you couldn't drive until you were 18. So there was a trend of <laughs> bicycle wrecks. <laughs> From high school age Germans riding their bikes to the bars and then they could not ride home without falling off of their bicycle. But which, see, you know. This is what I'm saying. That is something <laughs> I can laugh about. Okay. It's not funny that teenagers are getting drunk. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, there's a danger involved. But do you know what I mean? Yeah, that is not a perfect law. But is it a law that leaves toddlers torn to pieces? No. No, we can live with that. We can we live can with bicycle live with wrecks. Bicycle wrecks, right? So. <laughs> I mean, look, in Texas, to become a cosmetologist, you need over 1,400 hours of practice because you know that hair curler is a dangerous weapon, but not an AR-15, guys, no. I mean, this is insanity. Yes. And look, all those gun shops around Uvalde and places like that where this kid went and bought those guns, there's a reason why there are strip malls full of gun shops in those places because... When they're not selling guns to a school shooter, all those AR-15s and all those bullets wind up in places like Juarez in the cartels. Yes. Truckloads of guns leave South Texas to go to the cartels and the border towns every single day. Yes. And we pretend like we don't notice that either. It's like, oh, it's normal that I describe them as sleepy little desert towns. My sleepy little desert town, for some reason has 47 gun stores. Why is that? Well, yeah, because the 12 or 15 or 20 murders a night in Juarez, you know, they're not going to do themselves. They got to get bullets from somewhere. So they get them in El Paso. Yes, near San Antonio, which is, by the way, like a big city. Actually, I think it's the seventh biggest city in the nation. But there are little towns, like Neil said, and yes, you see a bunch of gun shops, and I'm like, okay, but you only have like two grocery stores. You know what I mean? I guess the population is buying part of those guns, but yes, the cartels too. And look, guys, because there is this issue with like a lot of people, freedom, freedom, freedom. This is not freedom. I can't go shopping anymore to the grocery store without making a survival plan in my head. I'm like looking around, like kind of like, where would I hide? 
this is not normal. And then I catch myself thinking like, oh my God, you're thinking on how to run if there's a mass shooting. This is not how people are supposed to live. Like movies, I honestly, if I can, I avoid. I avoid going anywhere crowded. Maybe this is just me because I'm from Europe. But honestly, if you watch the news, you cannot not be affected. And this is living in terror. This is not freedom. And children having to do active shooter drills in school, having to learn how to hide, how to try and avoid dying in class. This is not freedom. This is terror. We are making our children live in terror. Arming teachers also, when I hear that, I that is insanity. More guns. Isn't it ridiculous? It's, yes. It's I don't know. More guns is not the answer. And who's to say a teacher won't snap one day, huh? They're human too. What are we going to do when a teacher guns down the whole school? Schools in Texas already resemble prisons. I mean, it's like you go in the lobby of the high school that my daughter went to in Allen, Texas. It's the North Dallas suburbs. There's two or three cops sitting at the desk. Uh, One of them is monitoring security cameras. And nobody can go in or out without checking in with the three armed guards. And it looks like the guard station in a prison. I don't get it. It's, I mean, what kind of person thinks, yes, I need to send my kid to grow up in a place that resembles a prison. It's just absolutely nuts. It is insane. And It's not only that, it's the whole idea of like the solution that the Republicans are coming up with. It's always like, oh, more care and more attention to mental illness, but then they don't want to allocate any money to mental illness and they vote against it. Then they go, oh, we need to do more security measures. Do we want to live in a state that looks like a war zone? What are we going to do? Have the teachers carry AR-15s? Like, it's insane. I don't know. It's it's going too far. And to be honest, I don't know if this can be fixed because we've been having this discussion every single time. And after Sandy Hook, any normal nation at that point would have been, okay, this is enough. We're done, right? Well, not America. No. Look at this case. Uvalde, Texas, the gunman. He was just 18, right? The day after his birthday, literally, on April 17, he went and bought an AR-15, Then on April 18, the next day, he bought 375 rounds of ammo. And on April 20, he bought a second rifle. And on April 24th, just a week after buying the first assault gun, he went and killed the 19 little kids and the teachers. After shooting his grandma in the head. And, you know, the woman, she managed somehow to go to a neighbor's house and she got airlifted to a San Antonio hospital. And as far as we know, she's still alive, but in critical condition. I mean, an 18-year-old. I remember speaking at my university days again, I remember talking to a couple of my former professors and when the most recent round of gun laws passed in Texas, they had to have professors put their gun policy in the syllabus of every college course because it was suddenly legal for an 18-year-old kid to bring his gun to class while he was in a state university. I mean, maybe my university experience was different than others, but what I remember was a bunch of 18-year-olds with far too much alcohol and far too much time on their hands. 
And if there's any group of people that do not need guns to settle petty disputes, it is 18-year-old frat boys. I can assure you that, but that's I agree. what they have. I agree. And look, I don't wanna, I'm not even going to say the gunman's name. I don't care for that. But I would like to say, though, the names of the little children, the ones that we know so far. Because, by the way, there are there are eight unidentified victims. Okay, so there are eight kids. We don't know their names yet. But the ones that we know are Nevea Elisa Bravo. She was 10 years old. Jacqueline Cazares, 9 years old. Jose Flores Jr., he was 10 years old. Eliana Eli Garcia, she was nine years old. Irma Garcia, she was a teacher. Uzziah Garcia, 10 years old. Amarillo Garza, 10 years old. Javier Lopez, 10 years old. Tess Marie Mata, 10 years old. Eva Mireles, the second teacher. Anabel Guadalupe Rodriguez, 10 years old. Alexandria Lexi Rubio, 10 years old. Eliana Elijah Cruz Torres, 10 years old, and, you know, the eight more unidentified little kids that their names haven't been made public yet. So I don't know what is going on in the head of a Republican lawmaker while they see something like this happening, but it's unacceptable. And if nothing changes, this country is doomed. Yeah. The saddest thing about this is this is not the first time that Uvalde, Texas, has been in the national news. They were in the national news for a civil rights issue back in the 70s for a completely different reason. And this school was actually a central part of that controversy back in the 1970s. And we'll get to that in a bit. It's a tragic story, but... Yeah, and it's an important piece of history that kind of links a little bit the whole general context of the area. And... Another thing I see coming up again and again and again, and this is becoming a big issue today on the news, the door. Everyone seems to be hooked on this one detail. There was a door there that was open, apparently, and it was supposed to be closed, and that's how the gunman got in. Well, breaking news. I guess if you have an AR-15, you can open a door anyway, and if that doesn't work, you're going to break a window and go in, right? So blaming this massacre on a door is, again insanity. The door is not the problem, okay? The guns are the problem. I mean, it's very obvious to me. It's like people are clinging to any kind of detail, people who, you know, love guns more than children. I know I mentioned that in the episode we were talking about where the SWAT team got sent to my house once. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I wasn't home, but uh, the neighbors called the SWAT team to my house because there was a burglar in the house, but nobody was home. And I remember thinking that at the time that I would have been better off if I had just left the door unlocked because they had to kick the door in, which means I had to fix the door. It was like a hundred year old door. It's an old house. Yeah, so Neil I did likes have to old fix the stuff door. and you know, he's yes, very attached yes. to his furniture and stuff. So Yes, I'm living a life of constant sorrow here in the suburbs. It's killing me. It's like draining the life out of me every day. I have to get back to an old downtown house at some point. But anyways. You know, you can lock all the doors you want to lock. I mean, if I've got the butt of a rifle, I'm going to be through the window of that door in five seconds. So, you know, that's a silly thing for people to to concern themselves with. Unless you're going to put solid steel doors with no windows on the school, then it'll really be a prison. So that'll yeah. be great. Yeah, go and ahead. And I think, no, I really think this was one of those exterior school doors that are indeed like solid, probably metal doors, but... 
regardless, even if it was locked, like he would have gotten in, okay? I don't think we can blame the whole massacre on a door. It's insane. And before we move on to discussing more details about the Uvalde tragedy, I'd also like to tell our listeners that obviously this episode was not planned, so more details of the shootings will come up. We don't know everything right now. We don't have a very clear timeline. We will probably not remember all the things we would like to include in this episode, but I think the main points are being made. And also, we're going to have a premium episode soon with more about the Buffalo shooting and racism in the United States. A very interesting case, actually, we're going to discuss about. There was an Asian kid who committed suicide after being abused and harassed at the Texas flight school. Neil was very interested in the case because Neil is also a pilot, by the way. So, yeah. Yeah, abused and harassed, I think, is putting it very lightly. And all these things kind of go together. I think that's what we were all thinking when we started this episode. Uh, let's also remind everybody, at this point, we have two premium episodes every month. Uh, they're exclusively available to our patrons, and you can get them by going to the link in the episode notes or by going to dubiouspod.com and clicking on the Become a Patron button right at the top of the page. Yes, and you're not only going to get the premium episodes, you also get all our regular episodes ad-free, also gun-free. And please, if you like us, recommend us to your friends. And if you have suggestions or if you want to propose new subjects you'd like to hear about, we are at DubiousPod on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook and about Facebook and the Uvalde mass shooting. Uh, I have seen discussion online and on TV about why social media are not doing more to point out these cases to authorities. Because in this kid's case, he was also talking not only to the girl in Germany on a separate app. Apparently, there were some Facebook private conversations with other people. And the thing is, I do completely believe, especially Facebook and Instagram, who are doing a lot of nasty things and they know those things are hurting teenagers, right? Like we're talking about promoting unhealthy habits and all this kind of stuff. And they've been doing it knowingly. But as far as private conversations go, those are protected under the Constitution. So again, I mean, it's simple. We can do these things too. But at the end of the day, it boils down to the way to prevent mass shootings. I think it's banning the AR-15, first of all, which is the one gun everybody picks when they want to go kill a bunch of people in a very short time. I don't think that throwing this on the social media companies is it's not feasible and it's not even their problem, really. I mean, these social media apps are literally a black mirror. I know we talk about that show all the time, Sandra and I do, and we both love it, but that's yes. what they are. You know, the screen is a black mirror. It shows you what you already think. So Facebook does not create anything to show people. People only see what other people show them that they want to see. So I don't think it's their job to do this. There's, there's so many things that could be done better uh, than saying, oh, something invented in 2012 or 2006. This is their problem. No, this is 
centuries old. It's not a 2006 or 2012 problem. No, I agree. And look, as I said, Facebook and Instagram especially, and but all social media, they are not angels by far, okay? Like these companies are taking advantage of teenagers, kids who committed suicide based on things promoted by their algorithm and stuff. And like, it's horrible. And I'm not defending them by any means. What I'm trying to say is I do not think that, again, we can blame mass shootings on Facebook and Instagram. And also we're clinging on to things. I'm not saying we can improve. We can. We can improve all these things. We can look at mental health issues. We can try to put more money and more resources into that. We can have better rules for social media, but we really can't blame things on doors and Facebook. And that's not what Imagine if we did to social media companies what we do to the random person who gets shot 38 times by a cop when they get pulled over for uh, running a red light. That's the standard Republican response every time that happens. Oh, well, you know, that guy was no angel. Maybe we should just purge the world of social media companies. And when they complain about losing billions of dollars, we could say, oh, well, you know, they were no angels. So Yeah, and yeah. also there's a logistical component here. Okay, so... <laughs> No, listen, but let's say Facebook could have uh, caught those private messages and would have notified authorities. First of all, you can't go arrest a person just because they said something in a private message on Facebook. People brag. People say all kinds of crazy things. Yes. That doesn't mean they're going to do them. So even if those private messages would have been sent to the authorities, they would have probably looked at them and maybe like investigate them, but there would have been no emergency sense to them, I don't think. They wouldn't have gotten there in 11 minutes, okay? That's another thing. So I'm not saying we can't do that too, but the main reason why this happened is the guns. It's the guns. It's not the door. It's not Facebook. It's not, no, it's yes. the guns. And, you know, this discussion about turning the schools into prisons, uh, metal detectors and so on. Okay, but that won't stop school shootings because a metal detector won't deter a guy with an AR-15. You know, the type of weapon they use in 99% of the mass shootings. What do people think that the gunman will hear the metal detector going beep, beep, beep as he goes through firing his gun all around and that will stop him? <laughs> you know, also, let's assume we find a way to completely seal up schools. If I'm a mass shooter, I'll go in the parking lot and wait for the time when classes end or start when the kids are taken out to the buses or brought from the buses and the parents are there and there's a big crowd in front of the school and shoot them then. That's even more of a soft target than the inside of a school would be. Yes. So, I mean, this is insane. Let's say we secure that area somehow magically, right? Well, those buses are going to have to go on a public road. So the shooter's just going to move a little bit, I don't know, half a mile down the street and is going to shoot at three buses full of kids passing around and with a gun like an AR-15, guess what? You're going to make a lot of victims. Yes. Even like that. Yes. So this is insane. Any of this will not work. The only thing that will work is banning the assault rifle. Maybe this will be the thing that gets people's attention. Who knows? I mean, there's been two elementary school mass shootings now between the one in Connecticut and this one. And the last one, as we said, it had traction for a long time. Uh, maybe this one will uh, be the one. I don't know. I don't know. But do we know anything of the local government, Neil? What do we know about the Uvalde authorities, the mayor, the police department? What do we know about this town, really? So I know quite a bit about Uvalde, Texas, actually. As we mentioned before, this is not the first time that Uvalde, Texas has been famous. And I'm sure everybody 
saw the press conference uh, after the shooting this week in which the former Senate candidate, Beto O'Rourke, confronted the governor and basically told him, you know, this is on you, you caused this. And they had a bit of a shouting match. And the mayor of Uvalde, another Republican, uh, cursed at Beto and told the security to escort him out of the auditorium. Yeah, and he, they also called him a, an SOB, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, that was the mayor of yeah. Uvalde. And but you know what I noticed? Sorry to interrupt you. Both Greg Abbott and Ted Cruz could not really make eye contact with Beto. Ted Cruz was looking to the side, and uh, Abbott was kind of like looking down at the table. Well, very, very telling, you know, they know exactly this is on them. Their hands are blooded from these children. That's what it is. And by the way, guys, Beto O'Rourke is running for governor against Greg Abbott in Texas. So Texas, please, please don't make the same mistake that you did when he was running against Ted Cruz. The mayor of Uvalde, his name is McLaughlin. He was first elected in 2014, and he was unopposed in 2016 and 2018. And he defeated George Garza, a former Uvalde mayor, in 2020 by 915 votes. And George Garza is not nobody. George Garza is somebody. I'd heard of him before. The story of George Garza is in the 1970s. George Garza was a middle school teacher in Uvalde, and the Uvalde school district was one of the ones sued in a class action in the San Antonio area back in those days over their refusal to desegregate the schools. They always had a way to send all of the Hispanic and Latino kids to one school and all the white kids to another school. And it didn't matter what rule you changed or what you told them they could not do, they would find a way to resegregate the schools. So there was a federal lawsuit in which they basically argued that by the Texas Constitution's words, all children were entitled to a free public education. It's that simple, nothing else. And the interpretation of that was that all children in Texas should be entitled to an equal free education. And this wound up all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, at which point the plaintiffs, the Hispanic and Latino teachers and kids and parents in the San Antonio area eventually lost predictably. And this issue was back and forth in Texas for the next 20 years. It didn't go I mean, it was an issue still when I was in a Texas high school in the 1990s. Uh, there were still plans and laws back and forth about integrating the schools and equalizing school funding then. And this particular school was one of two mentioned in the Uvalde lawsuit in 1970. It specifically said that Anthon and Robb Elementary Schools were the examples of schools that were resegregated after they were supposedly desegregated. And, I mean, look at the list of names that Sandra ran off at the top of this episode of the children who got shot. They're all Hispanic and Latino names. That's what's so tragic about this whole thing is 
if you're like me and you read too much, I mean, you've known who these people are in this town for 40 years. You know, we've heard about them for 40 years. We've read about this stuff for 40 years. And then they wind up being the victims of the state again. You know, they can't escape the deck that is stacked against them. And so just demographically, Uvalde is 19% white and 78% Hispanic or Latino. So I'm sure people scratch their heads and wonder, how does Uvalde wind up with a white Republican mayor that does not care when a shooter storms into the predominantly Hispanic and Latino elementary school and shoots up two classrooms full of kids? And, well, if I had another three hours, I could explain all of this, but... I mean, we, we put a speech from Jesse Jackson in the end of one of our premium episodes in which he described, you know, the difference in elections is the margin of despair. And that's as well as I could do it in four hours. So that's pretty much the situation, I suppose. Yes, yes. And I'm going to keep my eyes on Texas, you know, for the governor's election and all the elections coming from now on, because hopefully something will change. And I think the only way to change this is to just put the right people in the right places. And Beto O'Rourke is the right person to be the governor of Texas. And look, I still have one question about the Uvalde shooting. And this is, why was the gunman inside that school for 40 minutes to an hour? Some people say even a little longer than one hour. I mean, where was the police? What happened there? From what I understand, the police were outside keeping the parents away. And there are some videos emerging now. And there are some desperate yells of parents and the panic. And it's beyond heartbreaking. And you were saying something about this, Neil, like one parent was handcuffed? Yes. You were saying something yeah, earlier. Yeah, I saw a video about And that's really the ultimate insult here. Exactly, the, yes. And, no, I haven't, I haven't gotten to it yet. Give me a second. The ultimate insult is, so Uvalde spends 40% of their city's budget on the police. And in this case, they paid those police to stand around outside and try to keep the parents of the children caught inside away from the building. And while they were doing that, and they actually did arrest one parent who was berating them, legitimately, I would say. Yes, for good good reason. reason, uh, For why are you standing around out here trying to corral us when there's a guy in there with a gun with our kids. What are you doing? And so they arrested her while being shouted at by all the other parents and people from that neighborhood, completely understandably. And do you know who showed up to actually kill the guy in the predominantly Hispanic and Latino school who was inside murdering children? No, the Border Patrol. Of course it was the Border Patrol. Yeah. So that, I mean, what else can we say? Welcome to Texas. Yeah. And also, like, look, I mean, I get it. Like, I do understand why the Border Patrol got involved. There's a lot of Border Patrol officers in that area. So they are law enforcement. So I guess in a case like this, everybody's welcome, even the Border Patrol. But the thing is, it doesn't look like they were very well organized. 
from what I understand, there was another parent who was tackled by the police and the third one who was pepper sprayed because they were admonishing the police for not really doing anything. Now, look, we will find out more. I don't want to go, you know, full on and attack the police because I do not know at this point what was the exact short timeline. But either way, we need answers because 40 minutes is a lot. One hour is an insult and it's an insult to the victim and it is unacceptable. And about the timeline itself. So at 11.28 a.m. in the morning, this guy crashes his car that he stole from his grandmother and then at 11.40, he walks into the school. At 11.44, law enforcement makes entry in the school. So four minutes after the gunman entered the school, law enforcement entered the school as well. And from there on out, until 1.06 p.m., things are going on and we don't know exactly what went on. But at 1.06 p.m., police said the attack was over. So that's more than an hour, actually, to be honest. And I just don't understand what happened during that time. Something seems off here to me. Regardless of what they were doing, the people of Uvalde, Texas, did not get their 40% worth from their police department and their sheriff's office. Because that is an obscene amount of their total budget that goes to these cops. And whatever they were doing... If it took them an hour to root out one guy with one gun in a school, then that's not a bargain for 40% of the city's revenue. Definitely not. And by the way, one policeman, a sheriff's deputy with the Uvalde Police Department, lost his daughter in this shooting. She was just 10 years old. So, you know, this is very complicated because this is why I want to hold back a little and not blame them completely until we know more. And I will even play the devil's advocate for the one singer officer or guard that was there from the beginning, not for the ones that arrived after, you know, and then waited one hour to go in. Like, bear with me, the Texas Department of Public Safety uh, are saying the following, school resource officer engaged shooter outside the school, but no gunfire was exchanged. So I'm like, I don't understand. This seems to me like there was an armed officer outside the school that saw the 18-year-old coming with an AR-15 and nothing happened. He just let him walk through, I guess. This reminds me of the Parkland shooting where a cop was too afraid to do anything also. Right. Yes, and I have a question for all of us here. Like, I know we are all enraged and we are looking for somebody to blame, but my question is, is it fair to ask our security guards, basically, or school cops to go on a kamikaze mission? Because if you have one single guard or one single cop, honestly, face-to-face with an AR-15, you are not going to make it. I mean, look, a security guard gets $20 maybe an hour. Not a lot of wiggle room to be a hero, like Jim Jeffries says in his gun control routine. He's a comedian I like. But it's true, right? You know, also these people, they do have families and children as well. Is it fair for us to expect a security guard to lay down their life instead of banning assault rifles? Is it fair to expect them to commit suicide by deranged shooter? Because honestly, that's what that would be. I don't know. I don't think that's a fair expectation and it puts our children in danger. In other countries, security guards have to deal with teenagers throwing bottles or maybe doing graffiti on school grounds, right? I mean, that's what we used to to joke about in the early 2000s in the US. There were maybe one or two gun murders a year in the UK and Japan. And in the UK in particular, the cops have a stick 
they don't even have a gun. They have a stick. So Yes, they have a stick and a taser. I think now they have a yes, taser too. Yes. And look, to clarify, I'm not saying it's not a cowardly move. Horrible, yes, to hide while you have a gun and the kids are slaughtered. Obviously, you know. But if this guy was 70 with a small gun, faced with a deranged crazed teen with an AR-15, people do need to understand that some of these officers or ex-police who are now security guards know what a gunshot wound from an AR-15 looks like. And in the Buffalo shooting... We have the security guard who was an ex-cop who engaged the shooter and exchanged fire and he is now dead. The shooter is not dead in that case, though. They arrested him, right? But the former cop who engaged him is dead. So it's not crazy to become paralyzed with fear 10 days later, because that happened 10 days before the Uvalde shooting. So it's not crazy to become paralyzed with fear when a gunman shows up at your school and you have a little gun and he has a big gun that can blow your whole head away in one shot. And look, some people might say, well, let's arm the school guards with AR-15s. Bad idea. Again, imagine a shootout between two people with semi-automatic <laughs> rifles. This is, I mean, in a courtyard, in a school, those bullets get through the walls, by the way. I have a better way. imagination. In- let's imagine a place where evangelical conservatives just can't take Christmas pictures with their toddlers holding machine guns anymore. You're going to have Oh, you would have a revolution. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> um, they're going to do another insurrection. I mean, the photos of, of families with toddlers and tens and hundreds of guns displayed around the house. The silliest thing about these people is when you have those photos taken of all the guns you have, that's what causes the burglary. You know, that's what the, the gun marketing aimed at these people <laughs> shoots for, uh, pun intended. It's not like we see gun ads on TV in America. No, it's not how it works. Uh, You don't even see gun ads on the internet unless you're on gun-specific websites. They market guns to people who are already convinced that the world is out to get them and there's a mugger hiding in every bush and every tree. So when these people go take their family photos with everybody, including the kids holding up their rifles and they go run and post it on Facebook and Instagram. I wonder if they ever stop to think that, well, that's how the burglar knows what house to go to because, you know, (laughs) TVs aren't worth that much anymore and nobody wears a nice watch anymore. Most cultures don't have a lot of jewelry anymore The stuff you're looking to steal when you break into a house is going to be guns. So naturally, you would go scroll through social media for every town and see who brags about having the most guns. And that's the house you want to break into. So, yes, they are causing the thing that they are afraid of to come into existence, which is, yes, yes, it's... uh, I don't know. If it weren't so tragic, it would be funny, but it is. Yeah. Yeah, and look, back to the arming the school guards with the AR-15s. Those bullets get through the walls, right? In Parkland and Stoneman Douglas, many kids were shot through the wall. That's how they got injured and killed some of them, right? No, the answer is ban the assault rifles. That's it. You know, this good guy with a gun stopping a bad guy with a gun is is just, with all due respect, the dumbest 
thing ever. We have seen time and time again police being killed by people with the AR-15s and other semi-automatic rifles. I mean, the Buffalo Guard was an ex-cop, so if a trained cop with a gun can't withstand a guy with an AR-15, what is a regular person supposed to? This is not the movies, people. It doesn't go on like you imagine. It doesn't happen like yeah, that. Yeah, and I mean, every time I've gone in the last few years and looked around Facebook at the uh, at the gun nut Facebook groups and stuff like that. They're all completely convinced. You know, they're fully bought into all of the marketing. And one of the things they're convinced of is you have to walk around with a round in the chamber of your handgun all the time <sighs> because otherwise you won't be fast enough to shoot the mugger before he gets you. I mean, I read this stuff and you can't help but laugh because... You know, translated, that means you have basically tripled the chance that you're going to shoot yourself in the foot. Yes, in the best case scenario, yes. because there are other parts. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's its hilarious. It the is. The stuff that and people convince them. I mean, how paranoid do you have to be to walk around with something that can so easily kill your kids or kill your dog or kill your wife accidentally and convince yourself that, oh no, I have to- This keeps me yes, safe. Yes, yeah. I, gotta, I gotta have one in the chamber, otherwise I'm not gonna get to drop on the mugger. It's like, it's, have you ever seen a mugger in Allen, Texas? I've not. Like, look, I'm a woman, right? And I have been living here for over 10 years in the United States and I lived in three different places I have never, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm lucky. I'm not saying there are no muggings happening. I'm not saying there's no crime. Obviously, there is, like in every other country, okay? So that's the thing. Only people here, though, feel safe with guns in certain states. It's been actually proven, if you look at the numbers, the chances that you hurt yourself or end your own life, because you know what? We all get depressed from time to time. We all get upset. We all have bad days. The chances are that... If you own a gun, you're more likely to hurt yourself, take your own life or hurt somebody you love than actually defend yourself with that gun. And look, about American culture and this culture of violence, I don't know. Some people might say this is a different way we do it here in America. You know, it's a more violent country. People are the same everywhere. People are people. I mean, there is mental illness in all the other countries, guys. And, you know, it's just things we tend to cling on to give an explanation to something that has a very obvious explanation. The only difference between us and all the other countries is that people here have access to these guns that are made to kill the AR-15, the Armalite, you know, was made for war. It was made for the war in Vietnam. The guy who made this gun said that it was definitely not intended for civilian use. And I mean, look, crime in the US, all crime, not just violent crime, not just drug-related crime, all crime in the US has been in steady decline since 1990. Steady decline. And yet, prison populations go up. Uh, and have just started to decline along with the decline in crime rates in the past couple of years. We reached a high point of 1% of the entire U.S. population in prison in 2008, despite two decades prior to that of steady decline in crime rates. Isn't that funny, though, that in the land of the free, 
compared to all other civilized countries, America has the highest number of incarcerated. There's a lot of people, people in the, in the, yeah, land, of in the, the land of the free. There's an awful lot of people who ain't free. Guess who's number two on the list? I mean, we're winning this war. Guess who cannot surpass us in the number of people imprisoned? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, you of all people should know this. No, wait, you know, I, I was thinking of something else, to be honest, though. I was thinking, I just wanted to say, those people that are in prison, also, obviously, there are the black and brown people, because the prison industrial complex is made to be a second Jim Crow. We just don't call yes, it that. It's you know, been that way This since... is a for-profit system made to keep these people yet again. I mean, literally, Confederate Army officers became police work detail contractors within a few years of the end of the American Civil War. Exactly, exactly. So, see, this is all connected, and we're going to probably do a prison episode at some point. Anyways, to answer, yeah, to answer my trivia question, the country that tries very hard to equal America in terms of the number of prisoners per 100,000 in the population, but just can't quite catch us. I, I honestly don't know. It's your boy, Vladi Vlad Putin. Oh, Russia. Russia okay, yes, has yes. gotten up. Over 700 people per 100,000 in prison for whatever reason. Yeah, but they're reason. most innocent. They're probably innocent. They're, they're probably. Most of them are, yes, but they have... I mean, the political ones, you yes. know, the enemies of the state. Yes. Oh, and Putin has a lot of Of course those, he so. does, but they never got to 1% of their entire population incarcerated. Only in America can you have 1% of your whole population in prison. In the land of yes. the free. Yes, and another thing I wanted to bring up, video games. Look, I don't play video games, okay? The reason I don't play video games is because I tried once and I really liked the first-person shooters and I knew I would become addicted. Like, I liked it so much that I knew that was going to be what I'm doing with my life if I continue. <laughs> so I was like, okay. Like, I, I mean, I would be one of those people whose dog starves to death, yes. you know? The video games are not the reason either for the mass shootings. That's another thing they say, you know, oh, the violent video games. No, guess who plays violent? The kids in Japan, the kids in, uh, I don't know, Italy, Sweden, Denmark. The kids in Japan make the video games, yes. <laughs> yeah, the kids in Japan make the video games. So no, it's always the guns. No matter what people come up with, the only answer that is pertinent and makes sense, it's the guns. The guns need to be banned, especially assault rifles, semi-automatic rifles. And look, the press conference again, because we talked earlier. That was a disgrace. And look, I'm so happy Beto went in there and confronted them. If there is evil, like they said, because that's what they're talking about. They're blaming this on evil, right? The evil is Abbott and Cruz because they lined their pockets with the gun lobby blood money to stay in power. On the word evil, I went through the stories that have the social media history and the text message history that's relevant to the shooting from the shooter. And like the messages he was trading with the German girl and stuff like that. And there's a short life story of him kind of emerging. His story seems to be that he was sent to live with his grandmother because he did not get along with his mother's boyfriend and she threw him out. The grandmother was upset because of the phone bill he was running up talking to his friends he made online overseas if this doesn't connect the dots for people, I don't know what else to say. You know, the reason why a teenager does not need a tank or an attack helicopter or a machine gun or whatever it is. Yes. Because 
you know, yeah, when you're 18 or 17, the biggest thing in the world is your imaginary German girlfriend that you trade phone calls and text messages with. And that makes a lot of sense. And there was a text message from him to the German girl about how his grandmother was on the phone with AT&T. And he seemed mm-hmm, about the phone, yeah, about bill, the phone yeah. bill. And that's what he was saying, set him off. And he's like, I've, I've had enough. You know, I can't take this anymore. And that seemed to be what drove him to uh, start all this stuff. But I mean, except yeah, for the so mass hard. shooting, that could be me. You know, I'm not going to shoot up a school and I'm not violent, but also did not get along with mom's boyfriend very much. And also, you know, didn't live with them after I was 17, but I didn't have a machine gun. Yeah. And nor did you want one. No, I, See, I never wanted a, a machine gun. It's like, it's so deep that you need wings to stay above the BS and all this stuff. Yes. And. We don't know exactly his whole life story as of yet, like all the details, right? We are just making suppositions. We are assuming this is what, you know, triggered him, right? Uh, But definitely he did not come from a stable family. I sense more issues there. And, you know, if some flags would have been raised earlier, maybe this could have been avoided. But for sure this could have been avoided if he wouldn't been able to purchase those guns, legally or illegally. And like, look, people always say that, you know, when we talk about the AR-15, with whom a bunch of people have like this obsession, they always say, oh, it doesn't stand for assault rifle, the AR. I know, I know it doesn't. Does it really matter what it's called, though? It doesn't. And look, at the Buffalo mass shooting, that was a race-motivated situation. And you can't ban evil and you can't ban racism either you can regulate hate speech but racists exist and mentally disturbed people exist sometimes you can't red flag them sometimes nobody know when somebody has a mental break and they snap but you know what you can ban guns and let's put to sleep this whole oh they're gonna use a knife instead well good because i'd rather be stabbed than shot with an ar-15 You know what I mean? I have more chances of survival. It's very hard to stab 40 people, for example, and kill them all. Most stab victims survive. Yes, and that's a big part of this. And that brings me to my ending rant here. There is a detachment from what you're doing if you can comfortably shoot at people from a distance with a rifle. Mm -hmm. It's not the same. Does an 18-year-old kid have it in him to charge into a school with a knife to try to kill somebody? There probably are some somewhere, yes. But is he going to manage to kill 20 of them? Not likely. And is he going to do it completely unopposed? Also not likely. Will it take the police one hour to stop a guy with a knife? Not likely. I don't know. Do I you mean, know what you I see mean? these performances that these cops put on for... Uh, for their fentanyl videos that they put on social media. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> speaking of uh, look, speaking of bad theater, that's uh, yeah. They do like their drama. Yeah, and they do. They do. And look, you can stab a few people at most before the others will jump you and beat the poop out of you, right? I mean, which is why there are not too many mass knifings. Yes. To yes, be honest, there's not right. And this is one thing that most American people agree on, is the fact that we need better gun control laws. I mean, besides the very fringe radicalized crowd, right? Even 
even 69% of the NRA people, so even the most ardent gun people, think we need more gun regulations and background checks. 90% of the general population wants gun control and the ban on semi-automatic rifles. It's, it's 50 senators who keep us all hostage. It's very clear. Those are the Republican senators in each state. And I'm also mad a little bit at people in general, because these senators do not elect themselves. And you can vote them out and replace them with better option. We are not perfect, but come on, people, it's not a well, hard choice. it's those senators and the money behind them, which I also looked up for yes. this episode. So yes. back in uh, 1990, speaking of our frame of reference from the past, when crime started to decline, in 1990... Total gun lobby expenditure in the U.S. for political candidates was less than a million dollars and was about a 60-40 split, roughly, between the two political parties. And it picked up in the 1990s, around 1994, when the Republicans first got control of the House of Representatives for the first time in many, many years uh, during the Clinton administration. And it sort of leveled off for a few years. And when Obama was elected in 2008, there was a little bit of increase then because that was a big talking point that they settled in on when the Bush family dynasty was pretty much over at that point. You know, they had been cruising along on what was left of the Reagan administration's popularity for 30 years. And after two world-ending economic crashes in 2008, it was just over. You know, people had had enough of the Iraq War, people had had enough of the Afghanistan War, even though it took another dozen years to get it over with. They'd had enough of the economic crashes, and there wasn't going to be another middle-of-the-road neocon Republican president. So... It wasn't so much in Obama's first term, but when Obama won re-election in 2012, gun lobby spending on politicians more than doubled overnight, and it has not let up since. From 2013 to 2020, it has remained at far more than double what was spent in 2012. And you don't have to have a literature degree to read between the lines on that one. What's going to sell guns at these gun shows? What's going to sell guns at these gun shops? Well, look at that. There's a black president twice. I need to get a gun. There's going to be a mugger on every street corner. That is the mentality that underlies it all. Yes, that's a racism that's still prevalent in a lot of states and a lot of this country. That's absolutely. Truth, you know? And so my first thought when I was writing the last thing I have for this episode was this is for our international audience, not familiar with America, but then again, not really, because as I mentioned before, even though those of us who are born here, born into this, uh, particularly in the Southern sort of red conservative states, uh, we've seen it all of our lives. I don't think people can conceptualize it and articulate it to anybody else. The American culture and its obsession with violence, unless you've spent some time to understand it, I don't think people really grasp it. But we do have a culture and it is violent. And a thing that just jumps out at you is you know, when we were in school as kids, we were taught about the first 
British settlement on the East Coast in America, the Plymouth Plantation, that these were the people that literally came over on the Mayflower. And there was a diary written by the governor of the Plymouth Colony that survived all those centuries and is still around almost 400 years later. And there's a passage in that diary in which he describes the extermination of the Pequot Indian tribe. I'm going to read the whole thing. So this is William Bradford, and everyone should read his diary if you have any interest in this sort of thing. It's a uh, it's the best glimpse into American colonial life that you can find uh, because it's a firsthand account. Quote, those that escaped the fire were slain with the sword. Some hewed to pieces. Others run through with their rapiers. So as they were quickly dispatched and very few escaped. It was conceived they thus destroyed about 400 at this time. It was a fearful sight to see them thus frying in the fire and the streams of blood quenching the same and the horrible was the stink and the scent thereof. But the victory seemed a sweet sacrifice and they gave the prayers thereof to God who had wrought so wonderfully for them thus to enclose their enemies in their hands and give them so speedy a victory over so proud and insulting an enemy. This is what the American settlers that we were all taught to idolize when we were in grade school history class thought of the natives when they got here, that they would just lock them in their huts and set the huts on fire. And if they got out, shoot them until you run out of bullets and run them through with your swords. And if any manage to survive, send them on the next slave ship. That is what we were born of here. You know, that's where we came from. And it should not be a mystery to people that the Republicans were just a few years ago calling themselves the Constitutional Party and even filtering that down to their local elections. And people were declaring that I'm only going to vote for the constitutional sheriff in my local sheriff's race. The only word that matters to these people in that original constitution is three-fifths. And it said that a slave was three-fifths of a man. And that's what they have obsessed themselves with for the last 250 years. I mean, I can hear somebody like our friend Vanessa in Australia saying, what does this have to do with the guns? Or maybe somebody else in Germany or Finland that we see listening to us. What does this have to do with the guns? It's a violent culture. That's what it is. It's a violent culture that thinks that being white and upper class in America is being owed the labor of somebody else that they think less than themselves. And politicians don't throw their hats in with unproven methods. They reuse the same tactics and the same phrasing that they know work. And the one that would work when they lost to Obama a second time in 2012 was evangelical conservatives lost the Civil War in 1860 to 1865 and then they lost the Civil Rights Act battle from 1963 to 1967. And they did not just shrug their shoulders and let it go. That turned into gun marketing pamphlets that tells everybody that you need to protect yourself from the burglar and the mugger because you know they're out there. 
There's nobody looking after him anymore. That's the root of all of it. Like I said, that's what's so tragic about this is this school in this town was at the center of one of the big civil rights battles that everybody forgot because there was not an Emmett Till. It was uh, it was about the schools. You know, George Garza, who barely lost that mayor's race in Uvalde in 2020, he was the school teacher that organized the walkout and basically told the state of Texas, we're not sending our kids to your segregated schools anymore. And it is. Yeah, and he almost he won did. by a difference of 900 votes a yes. few years back. So that, that tells you yes. a lot. You're right. It's all connected. It is. And look, one more thing that's really important for me, and I really got to say it because it's been something I've been trying to get out there for years, but I feel that the podcast is the perfect way. Look, Republicans always say, well, the cartels and the bad guys are going to get the guns even if you ban them. Yes, yes, they will. But the drug lords are really not into shooting up elementary school toddlers. They like to keep things quiet. They don't want the feds all over them. Those people don't do senseless mass shootings at the grocery store either. Drug lords and drug dealers are going to kill each other over turf or whatever. That's one aspect. Secondly, once something becomes illegal, so black market product, right? The price goes up. In Australia, I think a few years ago, a semi-automatic rifle on the black market costed about $30,000 US, right? And this deranged 18-year-old could have never afforded that. 99.9% of the mass shooters we've had so far in America I don't think could have afforded to pay that much. Thirdly, the black market is not easily accessible. It's not like going to Walmart, right? So in one's quest to find a way to buy an illegal gun on the black market, one has to ask people to try to find someone to sell them that gun. So more chances that someone they ask raises a red flag. And fourth thing, if I'm a gun seller on the black market and an 18-year-old kid shows up to buy an AR-15, do I sell that gun to him? No. Want to know why? Because I know the FBI will put me in prison for life after the kid shoots up his family or school or whatever, right? They're going to trace him back to me. If I'm a black market arms dealer, I sell to drug lords, I sell to drug dealers. I don't want the hit. End of story. It's it's much harder to buy a gun on the black market than people imagine. You don't just go to the black market and buy one. It's not like the corner market. Now, I mean... There's just no argument against having decent gun control laws. I can't think of one. Oh, and by the way, there is an NRA convention in Houston on May 27, right? So tomorrow we are recording on the 26th. And by the way, the NRA is designated as a, quote, social welfare organization, end quote, by the IRS. The NRA has tax-exempt status. How messed up is that? <laughs> See, that's a, I mean, we need a whole episode on that. A requirement. I have co-founded a nonprofit, a fairly successful one, actually. And Alex, the person that uh, we spoke with in our uh, second China plane crash episode about mental health and aviation, was also involved. And the list of rules from the IRS about what nonprofits are not allowed to do is pretty straightforward. And one of those on the list is you will not have a political affiliation and endorse political mm -hmm. candidates. But I could show you a million 
Republican evangelical pastors on YouTube every single week telling people exactly who they should and should not vote for. With a stroke of a pen, the IRS could end all of yes. that. And yes, and they should. Because we have separation of church and state in the Constitution for a good reason. For a very, we talked about this before. I'm not gonna get into this because I get mad exactly. At so this is this. It's not a problem of we don't know how to begin. Uh, the laws have been on the books. We don't enforce them because, well, if we did, then uh, a guy with an AR-15 would come unhinged and go shoot up an IRS office. I mean, there was a guy who crashed his plane well, into an IRS office in the nineties. Yes, I, I've I've read about that actually. Yes, uh, but you know, I think if we ban the assault rifles, then the IRS maybe could you know revoke the exempt status from all these organizations. But by the way, NRA, do you know there are no guns allowed at the NRA convention? Of course, that makes perfect sense. They have metal detectors and they have like they have security there. So yeah, and by the way, one more thing that really really. This set me off. Ted Cruz on Twitter said that him and his wife are, quote, fervently lifting up the children in <laughs> prayer. The nerve. I mean, they are dead, Ted Rafael Cruz. You're not lifting them anywhere. Okay, Ted, you're not lifting anything except stacks of money, blood money from the NRA and the gun lobby. That's what you are lifting. And obviously, he's still attending the NRA well, convention. Yeah, and when he's not attending those, there are also videos floating around online of Ted and Daddy Cruz, uh, particularly his father, uh, giving seminars in Frisco, Texas, just a few minutes away from where I live and where Sandra used to live, about how... There's no real separation between church and state, and it is completely feasible that if uh, the money keeps rolling their way, they will be able to enforce their religion on the entire country. Anyways, I think this whole conversation is uh, heartbreaking. I think that what's going on needs to stop somehow, and I'm, I'm still holding hope, but I don't want to set high expectations hoping that something will come out of this tragedy with good results and fast because after Sandy Hook, this country still did the same thing over and over again. We've been through this. We've been crying every time and nothing seems to There change. was one good thing today. One of my literary references did not get a uh, an immediate disapproval from Sandra. She immediately got it. And... We'll finish. <laughs> well, because your general <laughs> references in general, it is, I don't, I don't it is know. It's my task yes. to do many things on this podcast and besides tell jokes and have the only passable Southern accent of the two of us. Uh, I will also be uh, yes. the chief executive of literary references. Well, as you should, because you have a yes, literature I mean... degree. And also... <laughs> I'm grateful that you're making jokes. You managed to keep me this episode a little afloat and not like, you know, bowling all the time. Well, like this is not going to be a joke, but here's what we're going to leave our people with. William Faulkner won his Nobel Prize on a book called Absalom, Absalom, which was about a family from the defeated Southern Confederacy in which they reflected to themselves the characters their own sort of conscious and subconscious perceptions of themselves. And I will recommend it to people, but qualify that by saying it's going to be a difficult read. Uh, Faulkner was notoriously drunk, and he writes like a drunk man. So 
Uh, if anybody reads Cormac McCarthy, uh, it's very similar. Anyways, here's our quote from Absalom, Absalom. And this is a description of a Caribbean plantation island, or what they thought one would be. Quote, But where high morality was concomitant with the money and the sheen on the dollars was not from gold but from blood, a spot of earth which might have been created and set aside by heaven itself, he said, as theater for violence and injustice and bloodshed and all the satanic lusts of human greed and cruelty, a soil manured with black blood from 200 years of oppression and exploitation until it sprang with an incredible paradox of peaceful greenery and crimson flowers and sugarcane saplings three times the height of a man, valuable pound for pound almost with silver ore. The planting of men, too, the yet intact bones and brains in which the old unsleeping blood that had vanished into the earth, they still trod, cried out for vengeance. And that is American culture as well as it has ever been described, I think. This place was built on the blood of people who were forced here or oppressed here by people who settled here and now still think they're in danger from the people they oppressed. So they need a exactly. lot of Exactly. Now still think that they are in danger from those same people that they have had their foot on the backs of for four centuries. There's one hiding in every bush and you got to keep around in the chamber. They're going to get you. That is America. So all of our friends yes. in Australia and Finland and Germany who seem to like us because they listen every week. Uh, maybe. And I don't know, the UK, the Netherlands, and like almost 70 countries yes. now. Yes, I looked last I looked almost 70 Maybe countries. America will be better someday, but don't come here now. This is a broken place for now. So We're trying to fix it, though, guys. And on that note, I would like to say to people, please vote. And when you do, keep in mind that an 11-year-old had to cover herself in the blood of her classmates so that uh, she can survive yet another mass shooting that we could have prevented if we had voted and if we had been more active in what we do in our day-to-day -day life and what we do with our elected officials and how we handle things here in this country. So keep that in mind when Time to Vote comes up next. And on that note, thank you guys for listening. And see you guys next time.